Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, we're going to be reading just the first 11 verses of this chapter. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we have seen in our study of this letter of Paul, uh, he begins in chapter 1 by telling us the important things. What's the most important things Paul wants to bring as a message to this church? Uh, first, that Christ is proclaimed. For whatever reason, whether it's out of bad motives or good, he wants Christ to be proclaimed. From chapter 1, verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That was most important to the Apostle Paul. And the second, that Christ not only be proclaimed, but that he be honored honored in Paul's life. Again, from chapter 1, verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That Christ is proclaimed and that Christ is honored. And he says then to the church, and you too, should have those same concerns, that you honor Christ. From chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Living a life worthy of the gospel. That's Paul's desire for himself. That's Paul's desire for his church. A life worthy of the gospel. What does that life look like? Paul goes on to flesh that out as we enter into chapter 2 of the letter. Chapter 2 of Philippians, 
contains one of the most beautiful theological expressions of the incarnation, of Jesus Christ coming down from heaven to earth. Verses 6 through 11 are a beautiful description of what Christ did. And we often look to this text to understand our Christology. Who is he and what did he do? But what is so interesting is that Paul uses this section, this beautiful theological explanation of the incarnation, he uses it as a sermon example. That's really not even primarily his point. It's an example that he wants to bring to make his point, to live a life worthy of the gospel, to know what that life looks like, he says. Look at Jesus Christ. Particularly, look at the humility he showed coming down from heaven to earth. And he says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, he says. This is not something foreign to you. Have this mind of Christ, which is yours, since you know him, since you know what he did for you. Now live in a way that Christ might be honored, a life worthy of the gospel. That which was true for the Philippian church is certainly true for us as well. For those who know Jesus Christ, we want to live a life worthy of that gospel. And we look tonight at, at what that looks like. Paul begins, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, if any participation in the Spirit, if any affection and sympathy, if these things are the case, then there's a natural consequence to that. Four truths flow from the fact that we know who Jesus Christ is. Now, maybe just briefly, when Paul says, if these things are true, if there is any encouragement or comfort or participation or affection, he's not using the if of possibility. Sometimes we use the word if, and it means this may happen or this may not happen. It's an if of possibility. This could be the case. The if Paul uses here is the if of reality. Since this is the case, since you know Christ, since these things are true, then you need to live in a particular way. <clears throat> since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love, since there is participation in the Spirit, since there is affection and sympathy, then live in a certain way. That's Paul's plea. Live in a way that brings honor to Christ. Since there is encouragement in Christ. He says that encouragement in Christ is because you are in Christ. You are in Christ. You know him. And since that is the case, that will, that will affect the way that you live. When he says, since there is encouragement in Christ, encouragement because you know who Christ is. Because you know that Christ dwells within you. Because you know the glory of the gospel. Since that is the case, you will need to live in a certain way. His second appeal, since there is any comfort 
from love. Whose love? Christ's love. Christ's love that was so great that manifests itself in such a beautiful way that he would show that love even to lost, fallen sinners. So great is his love for his people that he would leave heaven and come down to earth. Since that is the case, you need to live in a particular way, for you have received comfort from his love. Since there is participation in the Spirit. Again, that idea of participation, not simply with one another, but participation with the Spirit himself. The Spirit who dwells in the midst of his people. The Spirit who dwells in the church and moves us along in our walk with God. Since that is the case, since you have participation in the Spirit, then you need to live in a certain way. Since there is affection and sympathy, that which you have received from Christ himself, the affection, the love of Christ, sympathy for us who are fallen, sinful people, since that is the case, I appeal to you, I plead with you that you live a life worthy of the gospel, that you live in a particular way. And what is that particular way? What, what does Paul want to see happen in their lives? What's his goal? What's the results he wants to see? From verse 2. If these things are the case, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What does he mean by being of the same mind? Not, first of all, the same mind with each other, but have the same mind as Christ did. That same mind which, which wants to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And if that's not too clear in verse 2, it's certainly clear in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. Live out of the truth that you know. This is to be your mindset, to live as Christ lived, a life of humility. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's Paul's desire. That's what he wants to see in the life of the church, a life of humility. We struggle with many sins in our life, and pride is often one of them. A desire to, to put ourselves first, to put ourselves on the throne. And yet Paul says, since you know Christ, and since you have the mind of Christ, we need to humble ourselves. Doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but counting others more significant. Looking to their interests, he says. How easy it is for us to always look out for our own interest. That's, that's, that's the way of the world. Looking out for number one, making sure I get mine. And Paul says no. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. How can, 
how can we be a blessing to them? Having, having an outward-focused life, not always inward. Our fallen nature is inward-focused. This is what I need. This is what I want. And when people talk to us, this is what's going on with me right now. He says, no, have, have, have an outward-focused life. Be concerned about others. How can we be of service to them? How can we show our love for them? That's what Paul desires to see in the life of the church. How can I be a blessing to others? By putting on the mind of Christ, that mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. That this must be, be the nature of our character as Christ who humbled himself. And then he gives us this, this sermon example. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This sermon example, as a reminder, if you think you are too important to put on this type of virtue, if you think you are too high to put on this type of humility, Consider Christ. Christ who is co-equal, co-eternal with God. He is the supreme example of humility. Now we often cringe a bit when we talk about Christ as our example. We know He is our Savior, He accomplished our salvation, but He also is an example for us. And that's what Paul picks up here. In Philippians chapter 2. He is that perfect example of humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on. Here's his example. Who, <clears throat> though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Again, if you think you're too much for this, Christ was in the form of God, which means he was God. We sometimes use the form as something is like something else. It's kind of in the form of a circle or the form of a square. When Paul uses the word form here, he's using the word essence. Those of you who remember reading Aristotle in college, form and essence, they're to the same thing. God, everything has form and accident. Accident's the substance. Essence, the form is what he's talking about. He was God. The very essence of God, the very nature of God, holy and eternal God. This great God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And our translation doesn't help us a lot here when it says a thing to be grasped. Better, better, a thing to be held on to. Grasping, we think of something we don't have yet we have to grasp. Christ had it. He was in the form of God. But he didn't consider that to be something held on to. He was willing to humble himself. He was willing to put our interests above his own interests. Have this mind, Paul says, that though he was God, in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what? <clears throat> but, verse 7, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. 
Of what did Christ empty himself? He did not empty himself, as some would suggest. He did not empty himself of his divinity. When he came to earth, he remained true and eternal God. No, Christ, Christ does something which, which is amazing. He empties himself by taking something to himself. He empties himself by taking on the form of a servant. Remember Paul's point, humble yourselves among each other. Christ empties himself by taking on the form of a servant, willing to serve, willing to submit himself to the will of his Father. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Again, in men's likeness because he was a man. Truly divine, to be sure, but also truly human. Christ empties himself by taking humanity to himself. And in doing so, Paul says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. He humbled himself, taking on humanity with all of its frailties, including death. Paul says Christ became obedient unto death. Christ is the only one for whom death is obedience. For everyone else, death is the just result of the fall, the just result of our sin. But Christ, He becomes obedient. And for Him, that obedience includes going through death, and not just any death. He goes through death on a cross. The most painful, heinous, way anyone could die. This is the fullness of his willingness to humble himself. Not simply to take on humanity, but frail flesh and blood and become obedient all the way to death. Paul says, if you think you are too important to humble yourself, to put on this mind, remember Christ. Remember what he did, how he would empty himself by taking to himself humanity and the form of a servant. Have this mind, Paul says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What happens when Christ humbles himself in this way? We read in verse 9, because he did all this, therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name above every name. He is exalted because he was obedient and humbled himself. He doesn't exalt himself. 
God exalts him. Another one gives him glory. We're so tempted when we do find ourselves beginning to put on this mind of Christ, when we find ourselves beginning to, to take on humility, that sin is right there, which wants to point out to others, look how humble I'm being. Look how well I'm doing. We want to, we want to exalt ourselves. Christ did not exalt himself. Christ was obedient, obedient even to death, and God exalted him. God exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he humbled himself, he was exalted by God and given a name. Now, while we read this in English, it looks as if that name he received was the name Jesus. But that was not the name of his exaltation. That was the name of his humiliation. He came and was given that name as he was born and took on flesh and blood. No, the name, the title given to him in his exaltation that everyone confess Jesus Christ is Lord is king, is ruler. He who would humble himself so completely is now to be recognized by everyone, every knee bow, every tongue confess, this one is Lord and king and ruler over all creation. God exalts him to the highest place. God gives him the name above every name. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is Paul's call to the Philippian church. This is his call to us as well. Since we know what Christ has done, since we have encouragement because we are in him, since we have comfort knowing his love, since we participate in the spirit with affection and sympathy, since we know these things, we're to complete the joy and have the mind of Christ humbling ourselves, humbling ourselves before God and being willing to be in service to his people. The call of the gospel goes out again tonight to recognize Jesus Christ, to recognize what he did. He was the one who was co-eternal with God, co-equal with him, yet came to earth to pay for the sins of his people. And if you but embrace him, that truth is for you as well. And if you have embraced him and have this comfort and have this encouragement, then Paul says, live that out in your life. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live in a way that exalts God by exalting others around you. We humble ourselves before him and we humble ourselves before his people, considering others' interests, not only our own, but how can we be of service, of help to those around us, a blessing to those who stand in need? This is the call of the apostle to the church. Have the mind of Christ Jesus. If we think we are too much, 